Christian here over the last two weeks. We're busy with an end time series. Um, we've been looking at a few different aspects. Um, and in the last two weeks, we've covered um, some good topics, sometimes hard to hear, um, but some necessary topics to make us ready and prepared. So our series is called Left Behind. Um, and at the first week, in the first week, we looked at being left behind in our thought. So firstly, sometimes when it comes to end times, we're left behind in our thoughts, and we just clarified that Jesus is coming. Uh, we need a change of viewpoint to there and not here, and a change of lifestyle that follows in that. Then last week, we looked at uh, that bittersweet pill, um, by just looking at how we're left behind in our expectation, and just how we will have to endure tribulation, and based on the Bible, probably that great tribulation as well, where there will be a hardship, uh, where the Antichrist will come against God in the rebellion, um, and then also just where we'd be not spared from that, but we'd be spared from God's wrath. So not from tribulation, but spared from God's wrath. Uh, we also looked at it goes with God's character, and a hindrance to us being ready um, is just ourselves. Luke 9, 23, just denying ourselves. Pride and comfort is what stops us from being ready in times of hardship, especially that time of hardship that is to come if we hear when Jesus comes. And this week we're looking at what comes mainly after Jesus comes. A little bit of um, when he's coming, but mainly what comes after. And so before we get into the scripture for this morning, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you just for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for, for being our God, for dying on the cross for us, Lord, for the foundation of our faith. We thank you for your love, and we thank you, Lord, that you desire for us to be ready. Lord, we don't know when you're coming back, but if it happens during our lifetime, Lord, we want to be a church and a people that are ready, and so we thank you for your clarification. We thank you that you let us know about these things in advance. We pray, Lord, that we'd be putting them into our lives, that we wouldn't just be hearing them here, Lord, but, Lord, that you'd help this filter through into our lives. And so even as we open your word this morning, Lord, we pray against any distraction. And Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open just to hear from you fully, um, Lord, and that we would see what your word says about what's to come um, in your coming, Jesus, but also after that. We thank you again for who you are, Jesus. Reveal yourself to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to look, uh, again, I'll be referencing quite a lot of verses uh, and just to clarify, I'm doing this at, uh, you're probably sick of it, but I do it at the beginning of everyone. Our aim in this series is not to tackle the main theological viewpoints of Revelation or end times. Our aim is just looking through the Bible in context and seeing what we need to draw out of it to be ready. And so along the way, it will probably agree with some points. Along the way, it will probably go against some points. And my intention isn't directly against or for but it's just so that we're ready. And so we encourage you, even what's been preached here in the series, you're welcome to research on your own. Uh, go through the verses. If there's any verse that you've missed during it, feel free to come to me afterwards and I can fill you in or if you want to know a bit of research in that. But our main verse for this morning is Revelation 21. Well, that's our main passage, so if you want to turn there, Revelation 21. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 8. This is probably one of the easiest books to find for us, eh? Okay, <laughs> so Revelation 21, and just from 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So that's our main passage this morning, and we're going to look at two main objectives. If you see at the back of your bulletin, we'll be looking at uh, revealing of the glory and revealing of destruction, and then revealing of the heart. And so as we, as we open up, we see that there's a new heaven and a new earth in verse 1. We spoke about it earlier in our series, but there's a new heaven, a new earth, and in verse 2, it's a holy place. Yeah, it's where God dwells, it's set apart, it's holy. But the first thing about this place that I want us to see, this kingdom that's coming, this new heaven and this new earth, is in verse 3. This is possibly one of the best things about this kingdom, but God will be there personally. This is a place where God will be there in person. Verse 7, God will be our God and we will be his children. I don't know if you've ever been memorized by a view or something amazing that's happened. Just where you, you've been awestruck by a view or, you know, just something incredible that you can't describe that has happened. Sometimes, you know, Jen and I will, will see things on Facebook or on YouTube and the ones, you know, we enjoy our whale watching and not that we're very good at it or, you know, do it that often. But we saw this video of a whale uh, breaching just alongside a boat and you just see this whale, massive whale coming out right in front of these people. And I'm thinking, wow, if I was there, that would take my breath away. You know, that would be an amazing sight. I'd love to be there. I'd be terrified, but I would love to be there. Some people have seen the Northern Lights. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, up, well, Norway, uh, we researched, is one of the best places to see it. But just those colorful lights, um, you know, where you see hundreds of stars, where there's change of lights in the atmosphere. It's just, they say you, the pictures don't even do it justice. Um, it's just one of the most beautiful things that you can ever see, where you're just looking and you just want to be in that moment for quite a while. If you had a pause button, you'd pause the whale halfway, or you'd pause your time, you know, just there in the northern lights, you'd just be awestruck and, wow, this is amazing. With that in mind, there's something even better that captures us by its beauty and its magnificence. And I'm just going to read from, you can jot it down, but I'm going to read from two short passages quickly. And the one is Isaiah 6, and I want you just to take in the imagery. Uh, 6 verses 1 to 5, it just says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, 
For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And just while you have that in your mind, I'm going to go to Revelation, just chapter 1. Sorry, chap- yeah, chapter 1, verses 9. Well, that passage is from 9 to the end, but I'll read from 12 to 17. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a surface. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Just till there. Two amazing images. If I was there, um, I think again, we'd be terrified. We'd have a bit of fear, but it would be this magnificent thing, just being in the presence of God. Those are two verses or two passages that show us the realness of God. And just how magnificent Jesus and our Father are. And so the first thing is God is going to be there. The reaction of Isaiah is he says, woe is me. I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. John in Revelation, when he encounters God, he falls to his feet as though dead. He falls on his face, sorry, as though dead. And so when they encounter this magnificent, holy, brilliant God, they can't help but just fall flat on their face and think, I don't deserve to be here. This is one of those sights. It's so magnificent. He is so magnificent. There's so much awe just at the sight of our God. And this is our God. This is who he is. This who in the kingdom to come will be our leader. He will be our king and we'll be able to be with him face to face in this new kingdom. In Revelation 20 verses 4 to 6, it just remembers, uh, well, it, it reminds us of those who remained faithful during the tribulation. And so I want us to remember that this amazing God is going to be in this kingdom of ours. But there, there's another something special about that happens before Jesus. Um, we reign with him in eternity. And it's in Revelation 20 verses 4 to 6. Those who remain in the tribulation that we spoke about last week. If Jesus had to come, we know the rebellion comes first and it's a hard time. Those who remain faithful in Revelation 20, it says reign for 1,000 years with God. Um, on the earth. They reign with him, they rule, and they reign with Jesus and with the Father. After this, okay, there's passages that allude to that's all the saints, but some allude to it's just those out of the tribulation because of the hardship that they endured. But after this, what does the city look like? Have you ever wondered what heaven, this new earth, this new heaven would look like? Okay, sometimes we think we all get a harp. It's like as you walk in the door, you get a harp and you just play a harp and you sing to God. Okay, what does this new heaven and this new earth look like? And in Revelation 21, our main passage, but after that, from verse 9 to 22, verse 5, describe it for us. And I'm just going to pick out portions of it. In verse 11, it says that its radiance is like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verse 12, it has a great high wall and 12 gates, 12 angels, one angel at each of the gates, three gates three gates on each side and the 12 tribes are inscribed on those gates verse 14 the wall of the city 
has the 12 apostles' names on the foundation, written on the foundation. Verse 15 to 17, it's perfectly measured. It's almost a square city, but it's perfectly measured. The dimensions are 100% in this perfect city. Verse 18, the wall of the city is of jasper. The city is pure gold, clear as glass. So it's pure gold, clear as glass. I don't know about you, but in my head, it's just glass, but transparency and glass. It's this magnificent thing that I'm trying to picture in my head. Verse 19, the foundations have 12 stones under them. Jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, uh, jacinth, and amethyst. Twelve precious stones are at the foundation of this city. Verse 21, at the twelve gates, each gate has a giant pearl that is the gate. So there's no gate, there's a giant pearl that functions as the gate of each of these 12 gates. The streets, again, are pure gold, transparent as glass. Verse 22, there's no temple because God is there and the Lamb is there. There's no church, there's nowhere to go to worship God because He is there already. Verse 23 to 26, there's no nighttime in this place. The glory of God is there and that's what gives it its light, so it's always daytime. There's no moon or sun it's a full place. It's full of His glory. Chapter 22, verse 1, it's full of life. This is a place full of life. Verse 2, the tree of life is there, and it yields, yields its 12 fruits each in its season. 22, verse 3, nothing is accursed. For the guys and the farmers, this is a great revelation because you don't have to work the land. Okay? There's a curse on our land because of sin. Nothing is accursed. We worship Him. Everything is perfect as it should be. There is nothing wrong. Verse 4, we see his face, his name is on our foreheads. Revelation 7 mentions that God will be our, shel our shelter. There will be no more thirsting and there will be no more hunger. 21 verse 4 in Revelation, he will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, no crying, and no pain. A little bit more information based on the first creation of perfection when God created Adam and Eve. Uh, we can assume even in other parts of the Bible that there might be animals there. In Revelation 21, 24, kings will bring glory. And 22, verse 2, there will be nations. And so it's not a place that will be purposeless. There will still be people in position. There will still be people, a nation that is there, still with things to do. Okay, even Adam and Eve, in perfection, they were to have dominion over the land and the animals. And so there will be a purpose. We will be a people group able to worship God, but still with a purpose that he has put inside of us. And so if you wrap all of these up, I want you to picture a glorious king, a glorious place, and a glorious purpose. And 22 verse 5, we will reign there forever and ever. What a magnificent place. I don't know if you've ever thought of heaven like that. Just the sight of Jesus himself will have us in awe. Never mind having the Father there. Never mind the Holy Spirit there. Never mind the beauty and the perfection of heaven itself. Never mind, no more pain, no disease, no imperfections at all. This is where we desire to be forever and ever. But there's not only a new heaven and a new earth, but there's also those who are subject to destruction. And so this is the glory revealed for the saints. But also in Revelation, it's quite apparent that there is a destruction revealed as well. And so we're going to look at that in Revelation 21 verse 8. It mentions that their portion 
will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, before we look at the second death, we like to call it, we know it in our circles as heaven and hell. We see that Revelation describes it as a new earth and a new heaven and also a place of destruction. But before that place of destruction, we know Jesus comes from last week to judge. Before those are cast into judgment, that need to be cast into judgment, there's God's wrath that happens before that. So God's wrath is poured out on the earth. And so we, we saw last week that we as Christians aren't removed from the tribulation, that hard time where we persevere through, as Jesus wasn't removed from his. But we are removed from God's wrath. But it still gives us a clear picture of what this wrath looks like. Just some facts about this wrath. In Revelation 15, 1 to 2, the saints at the time of this wrath who were in the tribulation are not there. So like we said before, the saints, Christians, those who believe in God, are spared from his wrath. They are not there. Even Revelation 7 speaks of these saints who are sealed by God on their forehead and the assembly of saints with God when this wrath takes place. So this wrath is not for Christians, not for those who believe in Christ. Revelations 5, 5 to 8, angels carry out the plagues of God or the wrath of God. So if we hear during end times, okay, we'll, be, we'll go through a tribulation, we'll be spared from the wrath, and the angels of God will carry out his wrath on the earth, on those that are left behind here during that time. We see Revelation 16, 1 just mentioned it, is on earth. Now, Revelation is tricky. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Revelation. Uh, it is very tricky, but there are parts of it that echo together. Okay, there's a few parts that give us an end-time segment, an end-time segment, an end-time segment. It's almost like our four Gospels. Okay, they give us four different parts of Jesus' life, and when we weave them together in harmony, we see a great depiction of Jesus' life. It's the same thing in Revelation. There's a few things that overlap and over here, there's a few visions that he has that give a certain time frame, and then it carries on, and it carries on, but these are actually part of the same time frame, and they can overlap. So if you weave them together, it gives us a good picture of what happens. Not that we figure that out totally, but it gives us some understanding within that. When it talks about these seven plagues or seven trumpets, there's two places in Revelation where it talks about it. Seven trumpets in Revelation 8 and 9, and seven plagues in Revelation 16. This is what takes place on earth when the Christians are spared, either because they've lost their life for the king, most probably that, okay? Then here is what happens on the people who have worshipped the beast or who haven't given their life to God. I'll be paralleling the two, so giving you from Revelation 8 to 11 and 16. But hail and fire mixed with blood fall down to earth, and a third of the earth is burned up, okay? There's harmful and painful sores that come upon the people. That's the first thing. There's seven of them. The second thing is a third of the sea is turned to blood. A third of the creatures in the sea and the ships are destroyed because of this. The third thing, a star falls down. It's over here called Wormwood. Okay, that's not going to happen while we're here. This is part of God's judgment. Um, it falls into the waters, into the rivers and the springs, and they turn bitter and some of it to blood, and whoever drinks from that will die. The fourth thing is a third of the sun is struck and the moon and the stars as well, so that there's only a third of its light that's able to be bare on earth. The sun is also given permission to scorch people with fire, with its fierce heat. The fifth thing is there's an outleash of these locusts, but they are 
described as almost locusts with scorpion tails. They aren't there to destroy the grass or any crop on earth. They're there just in order to bring torment onto the people. For five months, it says, and people will seek death but not find it. And these, these locusts won't kill people. It's just a measure of torment. It, men- it mentions um, that the beast kingdom will be plunged into darkness. Because of this, people will be so anxious, they'll even be gnawing away at their own tongues. The sixth thing, a third of mankind will be killed. Angels at the Euphrates River, I don't know exactly where that is, um, but angels that have been there for this a lot of time will be released, and they'll come against the beast and his kingdom. Remember, it's only those that are left on earth that are serving the beast and with the Antichrist, person who opposes God. So they're coming directly against God. There's two billion angels, if you work it out, that are released and they wage war um, against these people and they kill a third of mankind um, just with sulfur, with smoke, and with fire. And then the seventh thing uh, that happens straight after this, Antichrist gathers all of the nation that's left together, all of the rebellion to now take on God because Jesus is now coming. His wrath is almost finished. And they gather together to try and take out the king of kings. And the seventh thing that happens is there's flashes of lightning, there's rumblings, there's peals of thunder, there's heavy hail, and an earthquake, the greatest ever that we've never experienced before. The earthquake is so great that it splits the kingdom into three. Nations fall, islands disappear, there are no mountains anymore to be seen, and there's great hailstones. It even mentions the weight, around about 100 pounds, that's 45 kilograms, each hailstone that were coming down and falling on people. And that brings about the end of God's wrath. That is what we as Christians, that's why saved, saved from God's wrath and from the eternal punishment. God is a just God and we'll see later a little bit about to who and why these things happen. But that's what happens. And then Jesus comes. At the end, we see in Revelation 20 from 10 to 15, it mentions that all of creation, the dead in the sea, um, those that, that just were subject to death, All of the dead were given up. Everyone was before the throne of God and they were judged according to what they had done. This is after the wrath of God. They were judged according to what they had done. Then death and the place of departed souls was thrown into the fire, lake of fire. Revelation 14, 9 to 11 mentions this will take place and then those uh, subject to this will also be tormented with fire and sulfur. Revelation 19 echoes this destruction of the people left after those are taken with God. So let me summarize this. It's a lot of information. Let me summarize this for you. In the end times, people will experience God's wrath. If Jesus were to come now, we don't know when he's going to come. We would endure tribulation, and then we might probably lose our lives for our faith. People that are left behind who are following the Antichrist and the rebellion against God, they will endure God's wrath. Those seven things mentioned. After this, Jesus comes, and everyone is judged for what they have done on earth. And some of people will be with God. Some will have eternal destruction where there is fire and sulfur forever and ever. So these are the two spoken of realities. There's an eternal new earth and new heaven that awaits some. But there's also those that are still in the tribulation, God's wrath that haven't committed to him, and also eternal destruction. Where we end up, because this is the reality, the Bible paints it clear, and we've, we've grown up with a picture in our head of heaven and hell before. Well, this is what Revelation describes it as. Beauty that we can't even imagine. 
but also a destruction that is that is quite fierce. And there's quite a, a clear picture and it's quite vivid of the destruction as well. But where we end up based on our heart. So heaven and hell is real. The Bible is clear. Where we end up is our heart. Revelation 14.9 mentions anyone who worships the beast. We looked at that last week, the Antichrist, okay, and receives his mark on their forehead or on their hand. Worship is just to submit to, um, to prostrate before, to have as your superior. So this one that rises against God. Those who rise up against him will endure the wrath and the sulfur. So who endures that? It's those who rise up against God who have the mark of the beast on them. Revelation 16, 9 and 11, the people through the plagues, and I want you to see here the heart of the matter, did not repent. You read through the book of Revelation, while these plagues are ongoing, I mentioned seven of them, they get even more severe as time goes on. And it's the same as Pharaoh almost with the Israelites in Egypt. They would not repent. It mentions a few times in Revelation, we're still after halfway through the plagues, they would not acknowledge God as God. They just cursed him instead for what he was doing. They followed on their own ways and they did not repent. They did not give glory to God. Their hearts were hard. Revelation 9.20, they didn't repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, wood, stone. They didn't repent of their murders, sorceries, sexual immorality, or theft. Revelation 22.15, it mentions those who are outside are those who are sorcerers, sexual immoral, murderers, scavengers. It just kind of over here, it mentions them as dogs, but kind of leeching off um, of a whole lot of people just looking to drain and take uh, from people through all their life. Idolaters and those who love to practice falsehood. All of this kind of people, they receive destruction. Their God is other gods and themselves. They like living in their life of sin too much. They wouldn't repent and repent is to turn. They wouldn't turn from their ways even in the midst of being presented chances in God's wrath. In the end of Revelation 20, where this judgment is, it mentions that those whose name is in the book of life will have this eternal kingdom. Those whose names are in the book of life have this eternal kingdom. What do these people look like? These people that, that have access to this beautiful eternal kingdom. Well, it doesn't tell you that they, you know, they have three hairs on their head and a double chin. Or, you know, it doesn't describe them. It gives you their character. And that's how you know who these people will be. Revelation 14, 12, it's people who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Those who have turned from their old ways in Revelation 22, 14, have washed their robes. We are only made right in Christ. That's the first step in our faith in Him. But then we walk, walk in this journey with Him, with the Holy Spirit's help, and we become more like Jesus. We wash our robes. We become more mature in our faith, more purified, more holy. That is what these people look like. Matthew 7. 21 to 24, mentions that not everyone who says to God, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of the Father. Even a lot of spiritual people who said, oh, but we prophesied in your name, Lord. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. He says to them, get away from me. I do not know you. That's why our church has such a great emphasis on no grow show. Because at the heart of this, inheriting this kingdom, at the joy of this kingdom, is knowing through personal relationship, through personal experience, this awesome, amazing, majestic God of ours. So it mentions that 
that only those that have this relationship, that's what it's about, who know God and then who follow, who do His will, with His help be on a journey of growing in Him and becoming more holy. Revelation 22, 10b to 12, just says this, and this sums it up for us. If you're looking for the heart of people and how to make sure of our place, the aim of this is not to scare you. Okay, this is just the reality of what the Bible is. And often after sermons like this, we can question our salvation. But again, it's a matter of the heart. And Revelation 22 just brings a little bit of clarity to that. I'll explain afterwards. It says, the time is near. Jesus talking about his coming. Let the evil doer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. The major thing that it tells us about our destination endpoint is that it's a lifestyle. It's not a religious system. Okay, it's not something that we choose uh, at times to do and choose at times not to do. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle revolved around a relationship of full commitment to God with a great glory awaiting. And the aim for us this morning, the thing that we need to, to have in mind is we don't want to be left, left behind for the wrath of God if He comes. And we don't want to be left behind for that destruction and not to be invited into this great wedding banquet and wedding feast with the King of Kings. See, for us, it, it does pose a bit of hardship this morning. It makes us question where we believe. But the main thing is we, we sometimes left behind in our thoughts. We sometimes left behind in our expectations. Today, don't be left behind personally. There's a reality that people will be left behind, not for the tribulation, but for God's wrath and out of his kingdom. And so we need, again, to be prepared. How do we be prepared? Know God. Have a relationship with him. That's what this is. doesn't mean that because you come to church five times a month, five times a week, no, that's got nothing to do with it. Church is great because it helps us communicate with God. It lets us grow in our knowledge of him and connect with other Christian people. The Bible encourages us to do that because we grow in our relationship, but it's for us to have this relationship personally with God, to know him, then to follow him to follow his ways, to follow his commands, no compromise. Where we slip on that journey, God's grace is there in abundance. But it's that journey that we're following, not the other journey. And then pray for others. Church, we can pray for others. Some of us can be secure in our standing before God when we know there's many that aren't. And so we can pray for them to come to a realization of what's to come one day. A lot of people take heaven and hell lightly. You know, a lot of people even joke about it. Famous musicians or some people, they're just like, oh yeah, I'll see you in hell. Well, man, have you read this book? Do you, do you know what you want him to go to? That's no joke. Even for us, have you read about the glory? Oh man, we can get excited about the glory and the perfection and the awesome God that we'll be with in his kingdom. And so we need to just take into reality what this is and pray for others to realize the significance of it. And then just be assured of your walk with God lastly before we pray. Be assured of your walk. Again, it's not to make you question your salvation. It's good that we question our standing and what we're doing. But the main aim of this is to make us realize that after Jesus comes, or just before he comes, there's a reality of his wrath being poured out because he's a just and holy God. We don't want to be part of that. And as Christians, if we're following a life in him, we won't. There's also after that a reality where we all have to account for ourselves. And there's eternal destruction and there's also eternal life. And we just need to be prepared in our journey with him to make sure that we are assured of that. And if you are journeying with God, there's nothing in question. If we're not, and we're not following his ways as we should, 
then it does leave us with a question to bring before our loving Father and just say, Lord, I need your help in this. And we're happy to help along that journey. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your detail. Lord, thank you that heaven is not a place just where we, we go in and get a free harp and, um, and we just sing all day long. Lord, if you were there, it would make it worthwhile. I think we don't realize the significance of who you are, your beauty, your majesty. But we thank you for how great and awesome a God you are. You are powerful, so loving. Lord, even loving to, to where we think it's, it shouldn't be. Even in the midst of people rebelling against you, even in those last days, fully coming against you, an army against you, you still offer them chances to repent because you desire all to come into your kingdom because you love them. You sent your son because you love us. You want to save us from this wrath that you have to pour out because you're just and holy, because you love us. You want to be our father and you want us to be your children. We thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, that, that Lord, you help us in this journey. And Lord, thank you that is an eternal reward awaiting us, an eternal kingdom with eternal glory, with our eternal God as our leader, as our king, that we can look forward to perfection with you. Lord, we pray that, that those that don't know you or those that haven't come to that joy in this life of having that relationship with you, Lord, that, that they would come to know you. We pray that all would realize the significance of eternal destruction. Lord, your word paints a clear picture that it's, it's not a place you desire us to be. Lord, that if people's hearts are hot and they serve other gods and themselves as the God of their life, Lord, that that's where they will be. And so we pray for people like that to, to not be prideful, we pray, Lord, that they would submit their lives to you, not even out of fear, Lord, but because they understand your love for them and the life that you offer at the end and even the joy and the significance in life you offer now. Would you reveal that to people, even in our community, as we launch our prayer, say 1911, we pray that all would come to a knowledge of this, that they would see the realization of it and come to walk in your ways and in your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end just with a, a worship song or two, so the worship team is going to come up.